lights will never all be green. You're going to have to make a, just a decision and have a bias for action and start doing things, figuring it out as you go. That's Jordan Shelton, the co-founder and managing partner at Cave Social, a marketing agency that he started during university and now spans across three major North American cities. Originally from Surrey, BC, Jordan moved to Toronto for school and football. Through that experience, he started a blog which would later become the Cave Social Agency. This is Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. I'm Franco Variano, and today we're speaking with Jordan Shelton, the co-founder and managing partner at Cave Social an agency that grew out of the blog that Jordan started while in university. Jordan joins us to share his story, how he got into business and marketing, his keys to a great story, as well as how brands should approach telling stories, what it's been like growing an agency model business across three major cities, and much more. So let's get started. Hey Jordan, thanks so much for being on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're really excited, uh, you know, to have you on on the show today uh, to share your experience and insights with us and what it's been like building Cave Social. But before we dive into that, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Where are you from and what did you study? For sure. So I'm originally from a suburb from Vancouver, British Columbia called Surrey. So I'm from there. I grew up playing sports my whole life always trying to sell stuff. Ended up moving to Toronto for school where I actually, I studied political science at the University of Toronto. Uh, and also I played football there. So sports and education was definitely a big part of my, my time in Toronto. That's really cool. And so, you know, you, you mentioned that's sort of what your academic background was in, but you always had a passion for selling. And so how did that, I guess, first, where did that passion for selling come from? And how did that end up turning into marketing, storytelling and startups? You know, the first uh, instance I can think of, I must have been nine or 10 years old. And the Spice Girls at this time, they were absolutely monstrous. So whenever the Spice Girls were huge, that must have been 99, 98. uh, And they had these double bubble gum where you could also get a Spice Girl sticker. And at my elementary school, everybody had their desk lined up with these stickers. But the problem is people were getting duplicates. They really wanted to fine tune and design their desk. So I went, took my $5 allowance. I went and bought as much gum as I could. So the 100 pieces of gum, I unwrapped all the gum, threw that in a Ziploc, took the stickers back to school and I started selling them, you know, for 25 cents a piece or five for a dollar. And I sold out so quickly. Next thing you know, a week or two goes by and and I'm in fifth grade and I got a hundred dollars in my desk and I don't really know what I'm doing. Right. Or I just want to keep, keep selling more stickers. And uh, that got shut down by a teacher, but that was, you know, the first instance of seeing a problem and really bringing a solution to people. And then that translated into things like selling you know, fireworks in high school, which is frowned upon. But all of that, you know, brought me to a point where I was like, okay, I, I've got a passion for solving these problems for people, getting things for people. There's revenue opportunities, even though if I didn't necessarily understand that when you're just kind of young and being a hustler, so to speak. Then yeah, then transitioning into marketing and storytelling and looking at where that pay, that came from, that really was by accident almost. 
when I was in school, I started a, a blog. So I was just writing blogs. This was 2010, you know, really just writing for the sake of it, getting eyeballs on. And then we actually took this blog and said, let's let's put a little bit more time into it. And really, as I saw the effect that it could have on people and the way people interacted with the stories, it just made me want to create more. When you, when you open yourself up a little bit and people reaffirm that, hey, you have a voice, you have a story that should be told, uh, it really is the fuel to you know that, that fire of creating. Yeah, absolutely. And what was that first blog and sort of what got you into the, the world of, of blogging? The first, you know, we had wrote this, this blog, it was called Cave Magazine. It was a, a blog for men ages 20 to 30, essentially. And uh, we had this one blog idea. We saw a promotion for the Florida Panthers to buy season's tickets for $180. And we're in Canada. I'm in Toronto at the time. So for people who don't necessarily know how crazy that is to Canadians, like hockey is huge. And the Florida Panthers, $173. That's unheard of from a Canadian standpoint for season tickets. If you want to do that in Toronto, you know, you're looking at thousands of dollars or in Vancouver, thousands of dollars. Be the equivalent of getting, you know, New York Knicks or LA Lakers or you're across the pond, like Man U season tickets. It would be something that just college students can't get. So we did the only rational thing and we purchased the season tickets. I think I had about $300 to my name at the time, but we're like, hey, we'll get these tickets. We'll try to give as many away as we can on Craigslist, which we thought would be a lot easier than it was. Uh, nobody wanted to go to these games. We started demanding trades via social media. You know, and it kind of, it, it was fun. What happened though, the Panthers actually caught wind of this via social media and they reached out to us and said, hey, come down for a game. Come down to Florida. We'll put you up in the owner's box. Met the owners. Food, drinks, all nine yards. Absolutely insane, just cool experience for anyone who loves sports. We come back. We write this story. You know, this was over four months. We had the tickets and we went down. We wrote this story and talked about from seeing the deal all the way through to how it kind of manifested itself into going to the game. Post the story, hit publish. I go to bed. I think nothing of it. I wake up the next day. And have you ever had one of those moments where you wake up and look down at your phone and there's like 85 notifications and you think something's wrong? Yeah, exactly. That's what happened. And I was like... <gasps> My phone had blown up. We were in Sports Illustrated, ESPN. We had local national news channels calling us. My email inbox was probably 200 emails about the story. It took a life of its own. Uh, and we sat there and, you know, at that point, I'm once again, I'm stunned. I'm like, okay, like this is really cool, but I don't really know how it relates back to, you know, business, making money, et cetera. And that's when my aunt, who's in PR, she catches wind of this through Facebook and then calls me. She's like, hey, do you know what you've done? And I'm like, I'm, I don't know what you're talking about. And she's like, that exposure for a brand is worth upwards of $250,000. Like right now, I wish you could see my face. You know, like I still get, <laughs> I still go white and get goosebumps thinking about that moment when she said that because I had about 250 bucks in my pocket at the time. I'm broke. I got the student loans, all of this stuff in my last year of college. I don't know what I'm going to do with my career. And I get hit with this and that light switch just goes off right there. It says brands will pay for this exposure. Storytelling is important. If you can connect a story to a product, to a brand, have fun with it, do something unique, you can get people's attention. And that was kind of that moment of like, you know, we can do this for businesses. That was that first aha moment where then, then things just, yeah, evolved, evolved from that standpoint. But I, I saw that there was value and that really validated it for me that there was value in storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. What an amazing experience and, and a way to, you know, kick things off and flip that light switch, like you said. And so from there, you know, you, you just mentioned that that's that was really the catalyst that, that sparked the evolution. So how did the blog and, and that first story sort of evolve into what you're doing with Cave Social? And, and can you tell us more about that? 
Yeah. So as it evolved, we actually had a company reach out to us and said, hey, I saw, I'd like to you know, have some blogs created. And I was starting to look at ways to, okay, we've got this audience. What are ways to, to monetize things? And I'm in my last year of school and I'm looking at things that people will pay for and that there's a, a need for. And at this time, it was that digital agency creating blog content, social media content, all the things that are popular right now. You know, this was five years ago. Where I could see that, hey, businesses are going to start spending more on Facebook. I'm starting to see ads on Facebook. I'm starting to see content marketing, businesses putting out useful eBooks. Like this was, it was all kind of coming into my Facebook feed, and I said, just was like, okay, we have these skills. This is the right time to start charging for this service to other people. And we had this one one client who's still with us today who reached out and said, you know, could you create some content? And I didn't know the first thing about setting up a business license, a business account, accounting software, invoicing, you name it. But I said, yep. And then I went on a 12-hour Google spree of figuring out how to set up a business. So it's, uh, it was fun. But then that evolved. You know, I got one client. The hardest thing to do and is get your first client. And then you're able to see this stuff works and you can go show it to other people in the same industry and things just kind of grow from that point. So you, you, you kind of just touched on, you know, one of the hardest things, which is getting your first client. But what are some of the other, you know, big challenges that you guys had to go through in terms of starting an agency model business? You know, one of the things with starting an agency model professional service business is we're in this age right now of startups and going out and getting capital and giving up equity. One of the big things in the agency style business is traditionally that's not it's not funded from outside capital. So I looked at it and said, okay, I got a $2,500 student loan that I can start this company with. So I don't have a lot to hire people. I got to gotta do all the heavy lifting up front, getting our first clients, and then also understanding things about the actual value that you present to a client and how do you price yourself appropriately. This is a challenge that anyone who gets into professional services from freelancing onwards to law firms is understanding where's your value in the marketplace, how much value do you provide companies and how to price that appropriately. So that was a huge challenge is we looked at getting our first clients, but then also out of that, there's a, a major, when you're first starting out, you got to take, there's just practicality. You got to put food on the table. So you're going to take clients that maybe necessarily aren't paying you that value you're worth or not the best, most fun people to work with. But you know their monthly retainer of a couple hundred dollars is absolutely pivotal to you keeping the lights on. So not being able to choose your clients or really vet them as much as you know maybe we can now, that was something that was extremely hard to deal with because when you start an agency business, a professional service business, you're a partner and you want to work with people. And a lot of times it can feel like you're working for people in those initial phases and, and uh, you know taking on almost a, an employee role, which is not why you started a business. So that's one of the things that's really, really, really hard to get over. How do you overcome that, especially that last piece? Like, how do you convince people that you are a partner and not an employee? It starts with convincing yourself. That's that's for me. I had to convince myself and our team and come back to really principles that we've put down that we're okay with walking away from, from deals. If one, we don't like the people we're working with. Two, we don't believe in the product that they're selling. And as long as we've been able to do that and really believe in our value, and say, look, here's our value. Here's the way we set up working relationships. We create, you know, I think amazing content for people. And we're okay if that doesn't fit someone's business model. And not everyone has to, to create content like crazy. I think Apple is just starting to get like social media, for instance. And Apple is huge. So it's not 
it's not for everyone and I wouldn't pretend like it's for everyone, but getting through that of reassuring ourselves first, hey, we work with people, not for people. And it really comes from now when we go into client, you know, agreements, it's really setting the expectation from the outset. And as we evolve and start to work with bigger and bigger clients who've worked with other agencies, you know, a lot of times that expectation is, um, is mutual and understood and they, they know that they're working with a partner. Absolutely. That makes sense. So I want to just come back to something that you mentioned earlier, you know, telling us through through the story of, of really got this whole thing rolling that, you know, storytelling is really important and brands will pay a lot for that exposure, especially if you can create the right value and, and really connect with an audience. So what's your sort of unique approach or how do you go about thinking about this valuable storytelling for brands? So I always compare it to, uh, you know, if you hear a funny joke, that's a funny joke, right? But if somebody can tell five funny jokes in a row, they're a funny person. With brands, it's the same thing. If you make one commercial, that's a great commercial. If you make 10 in a row, now you're a company that is great and creative and and makes great commercials and is able to connect with people. So we look at it and say, the buying cycle, the thing that makes me think that Coca-Cola is better than Pepsi, like they've been telling me a story for 29 years. And same thing, Nike's been put, puts clothes on LeBron James, and now I that's adding to their story. So looking at ways that we can create content over the long haul. Sometimes we'll sit down with people and they want to create three, four pieces of content, and they expect that to build a brand and to have lasting impact where it really just doesn't work like that. It's it's continually adding value over time because if you can do that, if you can create interesting content, you have the chance to keep people's attention. If you have the chance to keep people's attention, the more you can keep their attention, the more they trust you. And the more they trust you, inevitably, the more they're going to purchase from you. So this has been one of our things. When I sit down, I say, look, we're not interested in doing like a one-off blog post for somebody because I know that we can't provide the value on one piece to you. And then it's not going to present value to your customers. But if we want to take content plan and build out an editorial calendar and look at, okay, we're going to you, you know, do videos, blog content, we're going to do some you know, billboards, et cetera. How can we all have this tie back to help build the brand? Then I'm game. And uh, we look at it like that. And we look at it too. One of the other things I'll say, just to kind of cap this point is talk to people like people. It has been the biggest thing that we preach to our clients and businesses is if you can act like regular people online and use your business and speak like a human being, people love that because we're the general consumer, anyone who's on the internet in North America, they have a pretty high BS detector. They can see right through any language that's super sales speaky or full of legalese. So if you can break it down and just be real with people, we find that we're able to connect and, and develop you know more sales. So that's really the goal for us. Yeah, absolutely. That, that makes a ton of sense. And so, you know, over the years as you guys have grown the, the company, you've actually expanded across three major cities in North America. So what's it really been like sort of scaling the business and operations across these different cities? At first, I would say terrifying, but only for me. And that was artificial fear that I put up because we have great people in each location and there's been no cold open so any location we've opened like we just opened in vancouver the guy who opened our vancouver location was working out of our u.s location for three years he's, he's one of the co-founders of the business toronto is where we started so there's no real cold open that's been something that's been been great because every person we have in in each city truly not only is in, invested in the company but has been you know i trust throughout 
wholeheartedly. And it really comes back to they can make judgments and calls on an everyday basis that I don't need to be there for because I, I have such trust in their ability. So that part has been good. A couple things we do just in, as a general rule, we hire very slowly. We usually bring people on, you know, contractors first, or we have people we've worked with, or we've seen their work around the web. And then we bring them on and we really vet through an interview process. Because when we bring somebody on, I want to know if that person's in the trenches next to me and a client calls us on a Thursday and we got a deadline coming up and, you know, all of those things, that that's the person that I can really grind it out with for 12 hours and get that content up and out for the client. In terms of, you know, managing and maybe I'll work or have to give some advice to somebody who's on our Toronto team and, you know, I'm in LA or right now I'm in Vancouver and I'm communicating back with LA, we've really leveraged remote tools. I think it's the easiest time ever to have multiple locations. So, I mean, tools like Slack, Trello, all of these things have really, really helped us with intercompany communication, for sure. Tons of really cool insights there. And so, uh, you know, one of the other things that you guys have have done along the way is recently launched a, a YouTube show and podcast called In the Cave. So what's that been like for you? And what was your approach to making that happen? Yeah, so we, we launched a YouTube show first, and that was called In a Cave. And really what happened there is we looked around and said, how can we compete with the big dogs in the space? How can we compete with the Madison Avenue New York agencies? And how can we punch above our weight class? And we said, well, these companies, the big ones, they're horrible at marketing themselves. They're not actually giving any value to the marketing community at large. So we said, all right, we have unique perspectives. Let's just create a show. We're already creating video for clients. Let's just carve out some time. Every Friday, we're going to record a show in the cave. We're going to put it up on the internet. We're going to promote it. And it's funny because, you know, that the first episode, like I'm sure if you you go to watch the first episode to the last episode, you'll see the difference. The first episode, we are horrendous on camera. I will say that fully. But we knew that you kind of have to to build the plane as it's flying, so to speak. And uh, we knew that we just had to start going on on a show and we'd figure out a lot of the nuts and bolts, the editing, making the intro, all of these things as as it came along. And then from that, which we still have in the cave, which we're giving marketing insights, we actually launched a podcast, which is called Mind Your Marketing, where we give insights into the latest marketing business news and uh, our commentary on on ad spots. And that was just a natural progression with, we kind of have a, a company motto, which is just more, more, more. And it was one of these things where, yep, let's do it. You know, the barrier to entry to create a podcast is so little. The hardest thing about creating either of these things, the YouTube show, the podcast is really getting over, you know, the fear of how you're going to look on camera or sound on a podcast. And once you get over that, you know, you're not afraid to put your opinions out there. Then figuring out the software and all of that, the lighting, that's, you know, that's, that's minor stuff in comparison to, I think, getting over putting yourself out there. I completely agree. And I mean, that's exactly how we started this show, right? Three years ago, just kind of trying to figure it all out a piece at a time. Yeah, and that's awesome. And that's all you can do. And then you'll look back, as I'm sure I will, you know, five years from now and go, oh, we're even more refined, you know, now our message is better. So and that's the exciting part, you know, constant improvement. Yeah, absolutely. So what's been, I guess, you know, so I, I guess you kind of mentioned that, you know, getting over the fear of what you're going to look like on camera or getting the, over the fear of what you're going to sound like on a podcast. Other than those two things, like what's been the most challenging part logistically or editorially or anything like that uh, around getting those shows out there? It was any portion of it much harder than you expected it to be? I think with the YouTube show, well, with both, there's always the constant struggle of 
getting more people to come and watch the show, more people to subscribe. There's so much content out. You really have to work on differentiating, you know, your message, but then also the way you mark market your shows. With YouTube, there's a ton of content out about how to start, you know, your own YouTube channel, how to do that. And we were already creating videos. I think podcasting is you know, still there's still so little on the web about how to do it. The best software we're constantly improving. We just picked up a new software which we're going to run all our podcasting on, and we're like, oh, this is solving a bunch of our problems. It's got a big soundboard. It's got all these things, and we just discovered it. You know, so that part of it of refining and and making it, um, you know, as as professional as possible has been something that has taken a little bit of time. You know, in terms of syndication, though, that's been the bigger challenge. Is how do you bring people in? How do you build your network within the you know the podcast sphere? And that's just something we know it takes time over the long haul. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So, you know, with all the things you guys got going on and as we are rolling into 2018, like what's next for you and Cave Social? Really what's next for us is growth and bringing more people into the company. This is something that I am so excited about. For me personally, as the business owner, I find it's exciting, but it's also, um, it's exciting and there's some anxiety and, you know, uncertainty around and these feelings of um, managing not only running the business that we're in today, but then also managing the business we want to be in five years from now. So taking that time every week to really carve out for long-term strategy business planning when you know we have the client work that's right in front of us can sometimes pull you away from maybe doing those 2018, 2019, 2020 plans. So it's exciting because it's good because I have to, I get to take I really have to make that definitive, you know, transition now from being a player to being full-time coach, which is something that's just interesting from a business perspective. So I'm more excited about that and evolving personally as a leader, uh, as a business manager and becoming better at that. With Cave Social, really just bringing people into our culture and and a workplace that I think is pretty laid back, pretty cool. I'm just, you know, really about it doesn't really matter to us, you know, where you got your degree or what you did before. It's are you cool? Are you creative? And do you work hard? Do you get along with everybody? Okay, great. Now we can we can work with that. So that's what I'm excited. I'm excited to bring more people, you know, into Cave. That's awesome. Uh, really, really cool. And looking forward to seeing, you know, how you guys continue to evolve uh, in 2018 and in the coming years. Thanks, man. No, I, I appreciate that. So as you, I guess, as you look forward into that, you're talking about carving out some time to do the strategy, to do the planning, to become, you know, facilitate the transition, I guess, from player to coach, as you mentioned. Are there any resources like books, tools, videos, blog posts, whatever that you have discovered or keep coming back to that kind of help facilitate that? One of the things, um, well, books, I, I am a monster audible.com audiobook consumer. Uh, I'm also a, a part of the Entrepreneur's Book Club on Goodreads. Uh, it's fantastic for bringing new books. And so, I mean, I try to do a book a month. I absolutely love it. I think you can pull little nuggets out. One, for example, I, I read the book Gary Keller's The One Thing. And this is something I actually come back to a lot from his book. And he says, you know, people are obsessed with to-do lists and they'll write out their to-do list in no specific order. And then our natural tendency is to do the easiest thing off these lists and continually avoid the hard work. However, if you write out what the one thing, what's your one priority, you know, for the year, for the month, for the day, and then put what activity in your day ties back to that one thing. So for instance, for me, my one thing is create more revenue for the company, right? That's my one thing. Okay, how do I do that? So coming on, I write out today all of my things I have to do, you know, do a podcast appearance, write some blogs, do accounting. Great. Which thing do I get is the highest priority? So coming on this podcast, 
getting in front of new people, spreading our message, that can ultimately, you know, lead me down a road to a new connection that could get us more revenue sales, et cetera, in the future. So I'm going to make sure that I'm prepared for that. I'm going to make sure that I put a lot of effort into that where other things like, you know, get expenses done. Okay, that's not super important. So that can get pushed to the bottom of my list for the day, right? That kind of has to be done by the end of the month. So that's one thing, having my mindset of prioritization of tasks, really. And then off of that is time blocking. So really protecting a certain amount of time every single day where you're not able to be interrupted at all. That means phone on like airplane mode, everything. If I can't be off the grid for an hour and a half a day, which I usually do from 8 till 9.30 every morning, nobody can contact me. I am just working on, for me, it's actually writing. I write, I have a column on Inc. Magazine that I really, really focus on. And I want to be able to focus on that. Time blocking. And then yeah, prioritization. Those are things. If you're looking for specific tools, I feel like every entrepreneur has probably got a a laundry list. But uh, one that I use, my life's in Trello. So Trello keeps track of all my goals, the things I need to get accomplished, my to-do list for the day. So that's the actual technical tool I use to, to get all of that accomplished. It's a great approach and and great strategy, and we'll definitely make sure that uh, we link to the book so folks who haven't checked it out can have a chance to grab it and pick it up and, and learn what that's all about. Awesome. So we've covered, you know, a bunch of different things throughout the course of the episode. Do you have any final thoughts or advice to leave us with to all types of entrepreneurs, whether they're starting an agency or building a product or trying to trying to get more involved in storytelling and creating stuff? What would be your advice or, or insight for them? I think the I get asked this question relatively frequently. And I think that the advice that I have just found myself coming back to over and over again is that the lights will never all be green for anything. If you want to start a business, you want to hire somebody new, you want to start a content marketing plan, you want to put in a new product set, like the lights will never all be green. You're going to have to make a just a decision and have a bias for action and start doing things, figuring it out as you go. I think a lot of companies, you know, I'll come into pitch meetings and they're waiting till things are absolutely perfect before they put it out to be judged by the world. And opportunity just flies by them. You can't hit a home run if you're not willing to step on the field and at least take a swing at a pitch. So really have that bias for action and just start doing, start writing. You think you're a bad writer, just start. You think you're too, you think you sound weird on a podcast, just start recording and then go from there. So that, that would be my final piece of advice. So if people want to follow up on, you know, anything else, if they have any questions, you know, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, there's there's two ways, really. The best way for if you have a question or anything, go to Twitter. That's at Cave Jordan S. I'll tweet back almost immediately. Or, you know, check out. The, we have a podcast, Mind Your Marketing, if you want to keep up to date with the marketing news, if that's more your thing. Check that out. Um, but very, very accessible on either of those. Absolutely. Couldn't think of a better way to, to end the show. Jordan, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us, man. It was awesome to have you on the show. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. And I look forward to following future episodes from you guys. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd love to hear about it and have you share it with friends. Find us on Facebook or Twitter at hack to start or drop us an email, hey at hacktostart.com. You can also subscribe to avoid missing any future episodes by finding Hack to Start on Apple Podcasts, Breaker Audio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.